Good morning, everybody. My name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the co-founder of OnlyWebinars.com, and uh, I'm uh, pleased to welcome our panel. We have the usual suspects, and we have two guest panelists today joining us. So let me begin by introducing John Scott. Uh, he's a change maker for global businesses and founder of Humanix. He is based in New York, though presently he is in Dubai. Hi, John Scott. Hi. Uh, uh, next, let, yeah, let me uh, reintroduce very quickly Arnold uh, Collery. He is an entrepreneur, a coach, a speaker, and a writer. He's also the CEO of humaneva.com, which is a personal growth platform based in France. And then I come to my friend Rajiv Daswani. He's a conscious leadership coach and global speaker on well-being and positive workplaces. He's the founder of a happiness coaching center right here in Dubai. And now I would like uh, to introduce you to Susan. In fact, I will ask Susan to introduce herself and uh, then Philip, and then we'll get our conversation started. So over to you, Susan. Thanks, Sherrod, <clears throat> and thank you everyone for coming. Uh, really super to have you here. We are recorded, aren't we, Sherrod? So anyone that comes in a tad later will get it all. But yes, I'm Susan Furness. I'm actually uh, a UAE veteran, I suppose, since the early 90s, but in the Gulf since the early 80s. Um, I'm originally from London, and it's said that my prowess is wordsmithing. But of course, bringing that right into where we are now, there's a few red threads that I know that I can't leave behind after you know, a couple of decades uh, at, at, um, in the workplace. And one of them is strategy. So I'm, I'm very much a strategist at core, whether it's brand, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's home, whether it's life and whether it's corporate communication. Um, and I'm also very much um, attached to when I communicate, talking in before I out. So the other red thread, thread for me is spirituality. So strategy and spirituality connected with two C's actually. One is critical power, and that's the critical power of where we get our energy, our energy, both our knowledge energy and our, our eco energy. And that's all connected through communications and connections, which is a good thing, right? <laughs> in the digital era, the fourth industrial revolution, as we love to call it here in the UAE. I saw a new acronym this week, 4IR, out of the office of His Highness, His Royal Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, 4IR, the fourth industrial revolution. So um, I am a bit of a digital nomad, have been for about um, five years, albeit my office is still, still very solid in Dubai, where it's been for many years. I can see my colleague Chaminda on screen today. Hi, Chaminda. And um, during Corona, I very much got the opportunity to bring out the, the edge walker and the spiritual intelligence coach in me and co-created a, a, a program called Heartistry, Strategic Heartistry with Ian Berry. And that's an alternative to strategic planning where we bring the heart into play. So that's me, um, Philip. I wonder if I could bounce the ball over to you, into your... Thank you so much. Um, my name is Philip Horvath, and I, um, I've been fascinated with future culture and leadership since I was a kid. Uh, my access originally was sci-fi and technology as I programming as 10, and so I've been looking at how does this new technology evolve, and so for the last 30, 40 years, I've been following the thread of technology and what's happening there. And what I even early on realized when I was, you know, by the time I was 12, I was actually talking about the future of work because I realized that these machines and digitalization is changing how we now create together and how we collaborate together. And that, of course, comes back to the individual and how we show up. And I was also very fortunate that there was a hyperactive kid. And before there was speed junkies, you know, there, uh, my dad just gave me a bunch of yoga and meditation tapes and said, here, learn this, you need to learn how to relax. And so I've been studying that for, you know, over 35 years now as well. And I learned that that's actually what it's in the end about. It's humans, right? When you look at organizations, people talk about organizations, but it's a bunch of humans. And if humans start showing up differently, the culture changes. And if a culture changes, then we create a different future. As a result of it and so today i focus primarily on leadership training cultural training 
and teaching how we can prepare for the future and how we really can activate the capacities that we all have as humans that we just never really learned about or activated because that's not what we were taught to do in school. And so I remind people that we have these skills inside of us so we can you know, create future together. So thanks for introduction. Thanks for inviting me, Sharad. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Philip, and thanks, uh, Susan. Um, I'm going to start with John Scott. John Scott, I read your post this morning that you had shared on LinkedIn, and I was struck by that, so I'm going to refer to that. It said, when I talk to managers, I get the feeling that they are important. When I talk to leaders, I get the feeling that I am important. Is it time for managers to start being leaders? John Scott. Uh, great, uh, great segue as always, Shard. I think that it's time, um, you know, Philip and Susan both touched on this in their introductions. I think we're talking about building uh, cultures that are courageous and that are trusting. And I think in order to do that, it's an elemental facet of um, moving away from having managers take the importance or uh, having it be a top-down reality. I think it's one of the, and I dare say, it's one of the gifts. Um, I say that with great caution and reverence for the, for the downside, but it's one of the gifts of the coronavirus uh, pandemic is that I think it brought the world, uh, certainly us on this call, uh, but it brought the world to uh, an elevated consciousness, whether they wanted to or not. And I think organizations, certainly my clients, and I deal with um, culture and leadership behavior, um, it definitely accelerated people I never would have thought a year ago would be really accepting and listening to calls and, and webinars just like this. Uh, I'm going to send this recording uh, and the people who get it from me when they watch this part of it, they'll know I'm talking about them. I would have never thought that they would be saying, you know, what do you think about my, my leadership behavior or how am I influencing the culture? How can I pay attention to the people? Um, and it's, it's awesome for me, frankly, to, to see the acceleration of this. And, you know, I'll kick it over to Arnaud. Uh, you know, we have organizations that he and I have created that have human in the title uh, <laughs> in some forms. So I'm curious, my friend, uh, or no, how have you seen this evolution in, uh, in the past year and a half, uh, but overall as well? Um, so as for myself, I've been, uh, as uh, Philippe know, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I moved from the entertainment industry into, I guess, human-centric consulti consulting and human-centric basically. And uh, I, I, I already saw a shift, let's say, five, six years ago when I... I was one of the first evangelists of the word chief happiness officer, but still some people were laughing at this term, you know, is it bullshit or not? And I saw the shift, uh, of course, during COVID for the very first time, some organization who, who, who didn't dare to work with people like me because, uh, um, because we were, I guess, too eccentric with humanity. We, we didn't enter the box. And all of a sudden I saw during the COVID, the need for emotion. I mean, it's really emotional intelligence, resilience, positive psychology. I mean, really, it's been a boost since COVID. And especially for me, for the last, let's say, four or five months, I mean, uh, co company uh, that, that they were not used to, I was not used to deal with, like big pharmaceutical company, big CPA organization. And they all told me, we need to change. We, what we've been doing for the last 30, 40 years doesn't work anymore. So anything, please think any, throw anything at us. And please, which, is, which I love it, of course, they say, please provoke us. You know, make us change. Use your term, use your word, use your imageries, your experience, experience of friends like yourself, guys, uh, in different parts of the world. They, want to, they also want to, to feel and think global, I think. All of a sudden, I think France, when I'm back now, or anyway, for France right now, what I'm saying, for the very first time, they, they seem to, to get it that people all over the world feel this need to be a, to be a whole, to be self, and, 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 and to really work on the basics of what is it to be a human being, or the basics of a, 
of, uh, of, uh, of uh, resilience. And we have a term in French which is called savoir-être, right? Know how to be, which is, it seems the, the, the best one to, the best one to, for me to use to understand. But still, I, I still see some pockets, right? Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was in the countryside uh, last week, countryside of France, entrepreneur, 50 people. Um, and when I talk about thriving and the need for every employee to be authentic, to be themselves, whether it's LGBT or, or, you know, to talk if you are, for instance, a bipolar, which I believe, right? You have to talk about who you are. Would not believe me. What do you, when you talk? They have to leave the company and they have to leave those things very private. And, and why do you talk about thriving in the workplace? I say, yeah, yeah. It's a world where everyone needs to thrive. And there's still some pockets, right? Where, and this is what uh, we are here, I guess, the, the last, the army, the last battalion of the field, right? On humanity. Yeah, so, so as, as you're saying, just to, to kick it to Susan, when you talk about this, you're reminding me of, um, I know Susan speaks all the time about human ecosystems and heart-centered organizations. So how would you, how do you, how does this resonate and land with you, Susan? Um, oh, thank, thank you so much for giving the ball over to here, and because I know you have me you know, really getting fired up, um, particularly on using the French um, uh, word in there, or the French sentence, because I like to do this with the word courage, C-O-U-R-A-G-E, courage, and I understand that spelt differently, cour, means heart in French, so C-O-U-E-R, Heart. So I, I'm a wordsmith, as I mentioned to you all at the beginning. So if you take the word courage, John Scott and Arnaud and everyone, and, and make it heart age, core, heart age, that brings me right into let's invite the heart to work. And I love, of course, this um, legacy tool from BC, a human centric organization, because I'm all about looking courageously before Corona to see what we can carry over to AC after Corona, what works, but have the courage to leave behind what doesn't, or indeed have the courage to evolve. I think agility, resilience, these are all the words we're hearing. Pivot was a big word during Corona, DC. Sure. So I'm, I'm really thinking that it's time to really do the move into bringing the heart into the work. So how about heart-centered organization, which takes me over to you, Rajiv. What would you say to that? I, you know, I love it. And I expected you throwing that to me. Thank you, Susan. Um, you know, I, we, we spoke about, you know, some time ago about conscious leadership and how important that is in a world before Corona where engagement was already struggling with people having problems with engagement at work. And we saw the missing link, which was not bringing the heart to work, right? I mean, conscious leaderships were operating through love in your organization and, and, and focusing on the human element. But the interesting thing in, during these times, especially now, as we move, you know, hopefully post-pandemic era, we realize the importance that all of us humans feel, you know, with life. We, we obviously have to be grateful for the moments that we've been given. We understand everything we've gone through. Now we bring this back to work, right? We bring this with us back to work. So obviously something has changed and leaders need to now role model it. And this is why we're talking today about being human centric, bringing back and understanding that organizations are living entities, right? And, and I always begin with, when we look at this time, especially now, is we need to start to take the pulse of our, you know, our organizations. We need to really go out there and audit our cultures and understand how are we showing up? So Susan, bang on, heart-centric, awesome. Philip, I throw it over to you. I just say that before Philip comes in, I love that you use the word, the pulse of the organization, because that goes straight into heartbeat, doesn't it? Philip, over to Absolutely, no, and it, is, and it is one of those funny things where I always think of Soin and Green, that movie where he goes, it's people. And I always collect organizations, it's people. You know, we forget that we think about this as a thing and it's a bunch of people, right? I mean, if you look at, I love that whole overview effect. If you look at the planet from above, there's no organizations and startups and public sectors and private sectors, there's life organizing itself in ever new ways. And if I think about it, I seem to be alive. I seem to be alive. I seem to be life, right? I mean, I seem to be life like everything else. 
And if you look at these people who are going to work every day, I mean, the statistics are horrendous. It's about 70% of people cover up who they are when they go to work every day. So 70% of that person is not coming to the table, which means not just there, you know, because they think of that, this rational thing, like do your job description, right? And they fulfill this job description, but their emotions aren't there, their body isn't there, their heart isn't there, their creativity isn't coming to the table either. And then, uh, you know, I see this, like people do an innovation theater where they're like, oh, let's get some post-its and do some design thinking. But you have a room full of people who are disconnected from their body, who are disconnected from their emotions, who don't know how to talk to each other, who are afraid to open their mouth because they get punished for it. You can as well take your posters and throw them away. I mean, and light them on fire, but, you know, and with your work in general, if you think about 70% covering up, that means you have a 30% ROI on your payroll, right? If I look at ROI and those metrics, that's ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. 70% of my highest cost item in my organization my highest piece of my balance sheet, 70% of that gets wasted. And that's really the tragedy, right? Outside of the fact that people go to work and you know, not by chance have depression and anxiety and those kind of things been rising since the last 20, 30 years because sure. people are dealing with this cognitive dissonance of seeing what's going on in the world and then going to a job to fulfill these functions and they can't even be themselves. That's a tremendous disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel yeah. this is what we're healing right now. This is a beautiful, thank you, Corona, but right? this is a beautiful thing that we got shaken up for a moment to say, oh, shit, what, what are we doing here? I mean, yeah. two thirds of American employees looked at purpose last year. 90% in America are currently considering a new job. Right? Yeah, this is a totally beautiful right. thing because they're coming yeah. back to, I want to be human. Right? I want to yeah, yeah. feel my life every day. It's really, yeah. it's, it's a really great observ observation and so important, Philip. I think we've all touched on these. And I think, you know, uh, Isabel, uh, a friend of mine, mentioned years ago that emotions are uh, energy in motion, right? So when we talk about this and how it applies to human-centric and heart-centric, and we talk about the cure and, and how this all factors in, we talk about um, things that I refer to as ascending and descending behavioral factors, right? So, you know, trust is ascending, empowerment ascending, powerless, jealousy, guilt on the descending side. How do you feel collectively? And I'll, I'll, I'll kick it to my friend, Sharad, because He's been quiet over there uh, in the upper left wow. corner of my screen. Um, <laughs> All right. How do, how do you feel, um, you know, as a CEO, as someone who's been yeah. in this world for, for a couple of years, uh, yeah. my friend, how do you feel yeah. this plays into a, a human-centric organization from your perspective? Yeah, sure. I think uh, the biggest lesson we've learned from COVID as leaders, as owners, founders of businesses, is that we have to think beyond the ROI of shareholders. We have to think about our stakeholders, our, our people, our employees, our staff, our customers, our suppliers. We need to uh, do things for them. And we need to have a shift in our mindset. You know, it has to be employees first. And we have to implement things that we used to have in place before COVID. We used to have uh, reward systems, right? But they were on paper. Now is the time for leaders to implement all those policies, get closer you know, to, your, uh, to, to your team that is going to make you successful and uh, you know, start sending out those thank you notes and those uh, gratitudes. And that I think can change uh, the world, you know, one person at a time. So I think it's the mindset that needs uh, to change off leaders and they need to do some serious introspection because COVID has taught us to be humane, mm -hmm. right? And now is the time for us to walk the talk and take things to the ground. I don't know if you guys are on the same page on this one. Anybody else can come in. Yeah, I'll pop in again, if I may. Um, yeah. uh, um, I mean, you kicked off with um, the return on investment and suggesting that this has got to be beyond return on investment. So I think the wordsmith, wordsmith Smith in me, sorry for muddling those words, um, says, so what else can we do with that phrase, return on investment? So how about this one? Return on currency. But we appreciate that currency comes from the word current, and current can mean energy as an electric current. And we start looking at the different measures of currency for the organization, including talent, including happiness, 
including energy, including output, including leaderful skills, including courage, etc. So that we look at a return on currency or even an ROE, a return on energy. I'm really feeling that would move right into the you know, human-centric organization. And I wonder what the ISO, the awarding body, would say about that. Because, of course, in 2016, human-centric organizations were awarded and can be awarded an ISO, ISO 27500. Um, so that's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? So how do we rewrite that ISO? In fact, how does ISO, the organization, rewrite their ISOs for this new era, DC? I've got more to say on that if anyone needs later, but I'm going off screen now. And I'm going to put that right over to you again, Rajiv. So I'm glad you're smiling. What about another measure for um, energy in the organization? You know, it's, it's such an interesting um, concept, isn't it? We talk about energy and we would never think of talking about energy at work. I mean, when, Susan, think about it. Years ago, this would have been something which no one would have even contemplated. But today, we all realize that we are, like John Scott said earlier, energy in motion. And we need to realize that humans are going to bring their whole self to work. So it's, it's a joke when people think that you have to keep your emotions at home or you have to, because you literally, as, as an organization today, you have to represent the human. You know, yes, AI has a role to play. Yes, we have a lot of processes in place that can help us move things forward. But guess what? The human element and, and measuring that. So, so I, love, I love the fact that, you know, ISO is now looking at human-centric um, organizations and they've started to define, you know, the beautiful thing about all these um, systems is that it allows organizations to start realizing that this is something that's going to be more acceptable. We need to start putting things in place and structuring it a little better. Um, which invites a conversation to everybody here to open up and, and think about what human-centric really means to you. Because it's, it's, if, you see, if you see people's definition of human-centric around the world, it has many takes to it. So I, I throw this out to everyone, including all the attendees today. What does it really mean to you? What's human-centric mean? And I, I, I pass the ball up to the panelists as well. Or now I'll give it back to you. What do you think human-centric is? How is it landing to you now, post-COVID? I mean, for me, it has always been being real, right? Again, I mean, the, all those words have been said here so far. To show up, there, was, there were your words, right? To be real, to be yourself, to be authentic, uh, to show up person you are inside and, and, and not to give, a, give way to a disconnect between what you are at work and what you are in the, in the space. And to give way to, uh, you know, the, the purpose, sharing, active listening. There's this organization right now. It's, it's a tech organization. And they, we, we're talking and they're all engineers. And, and I say, imagine it's the same thing we're doing here with human. We just break down what is to be a human-centric organization. So instead of uh, you guys work on different technical parts and make, uh, I don't know, whatever you guys do, a rocket, a, 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 a huge uh, LCD screen, whatever. What we do here for human-centric organization is to work on empathy, on emotional intelligence, on resilience. We break it down. That's what I do. When I used to just work on happiness at work, I say something, let's break it down. For me, happiness at work is, is, uh, is joy and meaning. So how can we bring joy to every organization and everyone is different right every single single companies uh some are 10 employees and they want more happiness and some are thousands so what does it mean for this organization to bring more joy or more meaning and now for human centric we go we're going deeper than happiness right or, or a courage based organization like susan said so if we break it down what is it to bring empathy on the day to day you know, is it active listening? Is to be curious? But we, we, for me, what we have to do is to break it down. Um, there's a manager who's still, oh, but I don't have the time to listen to, to employee. I don't have, you know, I, I have a company to run. And I'm like, fine, don't, don't spend the time, but then don't be afraid. Don't be surprised that those employees are going to leave your company. Just put time. It's a long-term thing. It's a long-term. And since... You know, 
everyone's talking about return on investment. They just want, you know, what is it going to be to do now for my organization? Well, I, I'm telling, I'm telling you, it's a long-term investment. Yeah. Oh no. Do you know one of the things I love to do is bring music. Did me? Okay. So bringing um, music into the conversation, and you know, my favourite song at the minute is "It's a Long Time Coming." It's a long time coming. But I see a hand up with Siobhan Reardon. Um, so I'm going to put that over to Siobhan, although my hand's up as well. Siobhan, over to you. Hi, Hi everyone. Um, uh, Sharad knows well that I am a, a lover of Rumi. Um, and as you were all talking and um, talking about different aspects um, from heart-centered to human-centric and how do we bring this into our organizations and our workplace. And I was really struck by Rumi's poem called Truth. And it goes, truth was a mirror that fell from the sky and shattered into pieces. And all the people came along and picked up a piece of the mirror and upon seeing their reflection said, this is the truth. In other words, we live in a world where people are holding up their piece of the mirror and they're even willing to kill each other because they believe they have the truth. And I think there isn't one truth here. I think there are many um, truths that will help us navigate this terrain that we've never navigated before as human beings. So then the question for me becomes, how do we, what kind of spaces do we need to create where we can bring together all of the different pieces of the mirror in an organization? And um, of course I work with learning communities as a model and it strikes me that nobody has the truth here. So one of the things we need to do is to make learning safe in our organizations to be able to stand up and say I don't have the answer that's a terrifying thing for most um, leaders to say but if we can make it safe I don't have the answer and Rumi's uh, another poem out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing there's a field I'll, I'll meet, meet you, you there, there. <laughs> And so, we, you know, those are the kind of spaces that we need to um, create to bring together. And it goes beyond, if we're in the space of learning, it goes beyond hierarchy. And hierarchy can often suppress that creativity and that innovation that navigating these new landscapes requires. That's so important, Siobhan. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what you also bring up is so important in the sense that we're talking about vulnerability. And people often ask me, you know, can you give me like really, really what's the most important thing you share with leaders that you work with that they can share with you? And I said, the most important thing I thought about this, and I said, are three words that really give me an indication that a leader is really going to be successful. And it's when they talk to their teams and they say, I don't know. I'll find out who, who on the team has an idea. I don't know. I'm not expected to be omnipotent. Um, so I think that openness has been really accelerated. And I think it's a benefit of this last year and a half, two years. So I'll kick it over to Philip, because I'm curious, culturally, Philip, how do you see this playing out in your work on a regular basis? Thank you. And uh, thank you for the beautiful roomy poem, because when you talk about it, it reminded me that where we're at right now, we're in selfie stagnation, right? Like everybody's <laughs> got their selfie and seeing themselves for the first time. And it's a little bit like that cognitive self-awareness, which is actually required right now. If you look at adult development, you know, Keegan did a wonderful study where he looked at how over like 65% of humans, adult humans, not even children, but like adult humans are not even in self-authoring yet. They're still in the externally motivated should world. I should do this. This is how it's done, right? And so in order to actually master the technology and the tools we need now, we need to go into self-awareness. We need to actually see ourselves, reflect on the fact that none of us has the truth, right? that each of us, we're all blind men struggling to find the elephant, and that it's so important to actually learn with each other. And there's been a big shift because in our education system, we've been rewarded for knowing the answer. We've been rewarded for being right. right? We've, and so we're terrified not to be right because it's related to shame, to not knowing, right? We feel bad. And I think this is that key shift, right? To understand that none of us knows the truth. None of us has any clue what's really going on. 
and that we actually need to talk to each other and share with each other and delight in the diversity and that we actually diversity is not something that we need to kind of tolerate or we need to get some more women on our webcast right Sharad? <laughs> it's not yeah. just about that right it's about actually understanding that we need diverse perspectives to see the truth right we need to see the big picture and i think this is what's beginning to happen is that we're starting to realize we are here we're all doing our very best every day. Everybody is doing their very best every day, even if it doesn't look like that sometimes, right? We look out there and you go, really people? You know, but they're also doing that. All life is evolving, right? All life is striving. I seem to be alive. I come back to that, right? I'm, I'm three and a half billion years old and I'm doing my best to survive and procreate, right? And create more. And that's coming back to that. We are meant to be creators, not executors. I've been trained to be externally manipulated process executors from the you know, father, father, preacher, teacher, to the professor, to the boss, to the incentives. They tell us externally what, who we should be. But I think really the key shift of what I'm working on with people is to go from externally manipulated process executor to intrinsically motivated value creator. Right? And for that, I have to find my center, that heart that Susan talked about, right? That's my center. I have a body and emotions and a mind below, and I have these creative other aspects of myself, my voice, my vision, my intuitions, my, my insight. The above and here is where they meet, right? And here's where I get to center myself. And this is logically as an organization, as an ecosystem, right? If I look at my elementary canal, I have 1,200 different species who live in there, a trillion human be beings that make up me, right? I'm already an ecosystem and I'm integrating in ever higher super organisms. Right, and an organization is just a super organism. And we might be like those waggle bees that go out and go, hey, look, there's food back there. And we do a little dance and be like, come over here. This is the new thing. Come do that thing. And the majority ignores us until one goes, huh, I think that guy got food back there. Let's go there. And I think this is what's happening right now, right? We're, we have enough waggle bees. We have enough thing where people are going, okay, we need to change how we organize ourselves, the super organism with the new technology that we have available. We also need to be above it. Because if we, otherwise AI will tell us what to do. If we keep being process executors, the technology will tell us what to do. And then we're going towards matrix and all that stuff, right? Sure. And so that we need to evolve as humans so we can master that new technology. It's true. I, I want to invite the group, um, Alexandra, Ali, Anthony, Jaminda, Gada, um, Hafiza, you know, please feel free to put your cameras on, join the conversation. Uh, let's engage uh, in a face-to-face in a -face way. Uh, I really appreciate what you said, Philip, and it's funny because I break it down with clients and in the most elemental, um, you know, being a professor for so long, I break it down to the most like psych 101, like, you know, leaders have either an external or internal locus of control, right? So like they're, they're either letting their surroundings dictate how they feel, how they work, how they think, uh, and they're so exhausted, there's an enormous cultural, um, you know, uh, cost of this. Uh, so I think you know we're we're turning the ship um, of this in, in a much more dramatic fashion. I think in in the most positive ways, and for all of us watching this, participating in this reality of uh, human existence as it relates to our work and our, our way of being every day, you know this is an opportunity for us to really to accelerate this change from a human perspective. So I, I'll put it to the group because I would love to hear from the participants. So Alexandra, if you have something, please put your camera on. Anthony, please join the conversation. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And in the interim, um, here comes Sally. Sally would like to come in, yeah. Hi, Sally. Hi, hi there. Um, so I'm a coach and I work mostly with emerging female leaders. And you've been talking today a lot about courage. And I wondered if the panel had any suggestions for newer leaders to start modeling that psychological safety in the workplace, which is required to show up as yourself, but that who may not be in charge of managing the culture, they may not be the CEO, but they want to start bringing um, from their middle position, some heart-centric leadership and some psychological safety to let people grow into that being yourself um, so they have the resilience. Yeah, fantastic question. I'll put it to the group. Um, how do you feel about that, Rajiv? You know, I, I think it's one of the most powerful questions we need to ask. And, and again, um, Sally, thank you for, for posing that today because this is the truth. You know, everyone always waits for the CEO to role model everything. And then we ask ourselves in organizations, how does 
everybody else participate? Do we just follow the leader, or do we bring in our own? You know, do we start? Let's change. Start from within. So, you know, I, I guess it really comes to each person's personal opinion here. I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts, but I feel that, you know, a lot of change that is happening worldwide now is is really the teams coming together and and and, and demanding change. I mean, there is, you know, we need to start to step into that space that we want to live in. If we want transformation to to happen, we need to come from that space ourselves. Um, and you know, you look at you look at the figures. Look, Sally, I go back to to one of the figures. I always quote this figure, but when you look at you know what was it a few years ago was was it eighty five percent of people at the world were disengaged at work? I mean, what's that telling us, right? It, it doesn't seem to be just the leaders that have the answers. Maybe they don't, right? So we do have to start looking at what do we need, how do we you know nurture ourselves, and, and then start asking bigger questions. That's why I started up the conversation today, saying, do we really audit our cultures and stand where the disconnect is yeah how does that Rajiv, i mean you and i often link in so well here um i mean what i'm sort of you know hearing is something we talk in heartistry and that's about the energy behind a fearful leader and a fearless leader oh, so don't we just hope that someone fresh into the organization actually is coming in with some freshness and fearlessness and and one of the attributes that we put of a fearless leader is knowing that role modeling really works well. Modeling, so not model, which could be seen BC as quite linear, Sally, but modeling, modeling, meaning that it's um, fluid. And so one of the attributes of a fearless leader is just knowing that by modeling acts of love and kindness, evokes acts of love and kindness in others. So going from authenticity and integrity, if we come as the man in the mirror from the place of love and kindness, let's just model that out and do our job. And finding the truth in observation, not necessarily opinion. Of course, not where facts and figures and research are in, but just in, in holding the space in the organization. So I hope that that speaks in. And while I'm on, I saw a question from Anthony Blenheim about children. Well, yes, yes, yes. And so I'd like to quote Dr. Maria Montessori, a woman uh, 150 years ago, who some of you may know, um, um, observed children and created the Montessori movement, which is still going strong today with the same principles of 150 years ago. And Dr. Maria noticed when she observed children that they work with their heart first, then into their hands, then they get active and then they go to their head. But of course, what we do is we tend to go to the head first, straight into the plans. We don't even know what to do with our hands and we haven't asked the heart and the heart knows. So if we can really get to talk in before we talk out, how wonderful is that? And that's both into ourselves and into the organization. So, um, you know, I'm looking for Montessori for adults in the workplace to help <laughs> us have a heart-centered organization. And indeed, Edgewalkers by Dr. Judy Neal, edgewalkers.org, and um, uh, Deep Change Spiritual Intelligence, the 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence by Cindy Wigglesworth are among, among the voices that work into that space. Um, and John Scott, I saw a, a question online as well that could be good for you. Did you see that one? I have um, it. Looking at the it says, um, what is or should be the role of employees in molding the organization? And, and of course, I haven't let Sally come back in, but maybe Sally wants to come back in in a minute. John Scott. What's yeah, the role so of the employees, I'll, which speaks into Sally's point? Yeah, yeah. So to Sally's point, you know, I thought about you actually, Susan, with the wordsmithing, because I've read so many articles about the words that people choose and not apologizing and saying, uh, you know, thank you for waiting versus I'm sorry for being late, or there's so many different verbal cues. And, you know, and I'll say this specifically, you know, I have, I have a recent college, uh, excuse me, university graduates, uh, both of my children, a, a son and a daughter. 
so it, it my perspective is fascinating you know I, I really do use them as this real world uh experiential situation and in my conversations and Sharad said this earlier about his daughter you know we we have these uh you know these offspring out in the world some of us and uh they are they're great research tools for us that we've uh that we can uh learn from i think the the role of employee is interesting because i think the the momentum that comes uh, in this regard previously was coming uh, from a groundswell internally. And I think to your point just now, Susan, where people were just going cerebral and leaders were see seeing their role as having to be omnipotent and, and running with it. I think one of the benefits of the AC, uh, the after Corona perspective is, I think much more people, many more people have come to this consciousness and really thought about, you know, what do I want? Who am I really? What is what is my purpose? How am I going to work? And I hate to say this because I, I saw this recently. There's no points for being right in this regard. But I told a client recently, about six months ago, they were they were pushing for a full return to the office by July. And I said, if you do that, you're going to lose 30% of your workforce. And of those 30%, you're going to lose your top 60% of your, your contributors. And sadly, I got a call a few weeks ago and said, we've lost, you know, 175 people, which is roughly that percentage. And I said, oh, um, he goes, we need to have a conversation. And I said, I, you know, I thought to myself, I wish we would have had this conversation six months ago before you validated my theory um, by forcing your people back to the office. So I think that organizations that don't pay attention to their employees are going to have immediate and dramatic consequences, and then they will. So our goal collectively, if I may be so bold as to say this, is to engage the people, clients, organizations, and cultures that we work in to have them be proactive and to have them be fearless in this approach because otherwise the responses are going to be playing defense and, and leading from their heels, which is never going to be a smart way to go. So I'll kick it over to uh, to Philip because I, I, I feel like he has so many things culturally to, to bring to this topic, Philip. I've been jumping at the bit, actually. And, and thank you for bringing <laughs> this up. And thank you, Sammy, for this awesome conversation, because I think that's actually the key. We're the key pattern still having the conversation of, oh, is culture change bottom up or top down or any of these things? And it's like, it's everywhere. <laughs> right? I mean, this is the whole thing. If you're, even if you look at technology, we have edge computing and distributed computing now, right? Instead of client server, instead of boss tells you what to do, we need to have, if we want distributed organizations, if we want flat hierarchies, we need distributed decision making, which means we need distributed points of origin for new things. And if you think about culture, culture for me is an interference pattern, right? Culture happens in between people, like how we individually show up. And I love my, my colleague, Margaret Wheatley, wrote a book, uh, Who Do We Choose to Be Now? And she talks about islands of sanity, right? And if you think about it, you, are, you can be that island of sanity. When you go to work, in your little team, in your environment, you can choose to show up differently. And that ultimately will change the organization, right? Because when you look at the, those typical culture programs, 70, 80% fail, right? Because they're treating culture as this thing. And they have this idea of we just put a little people, we have people, people plaque on the wall, and then it's going to be okay, right? And it's not that it's individuals showing up differently. And anybody can do that. And honestly, why wouldn't you want to? Sure. Right? The idea of going to work every day and living in misery or having to hide myself seems horrendous. Mm -hmm. right? And I think we, and as we have last year, you know, one of the things Corona did was we looked at death, right? And our relationships to death determines our relationship of, to life. And if I'm afraid of death, I'm going to be afraid of life. Right? And if I'm actually looking at death and saying, shit, I'm going to be gone one day. I have this many moments left. And one day I'm going to look back and these moments are over. What right. do I want those moments to have been? Do I want to have 70% of my time be quiet, misery, and suffering as I'm going in a job, hiding myself, trying to pretend to be something I'm not? This is going to be my life if I look back at it one day. Right. And we really, if you think about optimizing, and this is that integral in math, right? If I integrate my lifetime, then the focus becomes on how can I make every moment purposeful, precious, joyful, deep, even in misery, even in pain. So it's not about happy, happy all the time, right? How can I take the full spectrum in and really live full spectrum moments so that one day when I look back at my life, I said, I've done it. I've done my very best. And if that's next year, if it's in a hundred years, who cares, right? I know I've used my lifetime. And this yeah. is really what I invite everybody to remember. You're a human being. This is your lifetime. Don't think yeah. about jobs and careers and all that bullshit that we've been taught, right? You spend your time every day. How do you spend your time every day? 
how do you spend your moments and create them around you differently and start showing up differently and the world around you will start showing up differently as well. And of course, I Philippe, to Rosaria. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, sorry. I know Rosaria was on the screen asking, uh, trying to uh, get in too. So go ahead, Susan. I'm oh, sorry. wonderful. Because Rosario has said some most amazing <laughs> pieces in the chat. Thank you, Rosario. And I could also feel I saw Sally chomping at the bit. Yes. But, but you know, this is, is Rosario wanting to come on. But, you know, um, uh, Rosario, you've gone off camera for a minute. So she's not there for now. Um, um, so what I'm going to do is I just want to talk about something and then maybe see if Sally, um, you're coming into the screen. I can see that whether you've got want to pull something out from what we've been saying um, in answer to the younger generation coming into the organization to Tony Blenheim's point about children and about how we role model and et cetera, et cetera. But I have a, um, something but here that I wrote in 2008 that I took off a wall of, a, of a, a lovely chain of shops in the United States called 10,000 Villages that, that used to, um, well, I don't know if they're still going, but take all the work from the nomadic tribes from around the world. And, and there, what they were doing, Philippe, was turning careers and jobs into vocations a noble purpose, and actually into something that Simon Sinek says, S-I-N-E-K-E-C-K, if you're watching Simon Sinek, he says, just cause. What is your just cause? So I read this on the wall. I slept and I dreamt that life was happiness. I awoke and I saw that in life it was service. And so I served. And in service, I found happiness. That's an Indian poet. And I wrote that in 2008. So in modeling um, happiness into service, Sally, do you have anything to add? Over to you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for a lively discussion. Um, I think the only thing that I would add from my experience that I'm trying to do with the emerging female leaders that I work with is, I mean, it's basic coaching, but really dig down into your values and understand what your strengths are so you can lean into those things which are easy for you and open up the discourse to bring people in, delegate to people, work with people who do something that you're not so awesome at. Because I feel if you know your values and you really understand who you are through that introspection, you've got something solid to stand on if you're trying to make organizational change from, you know, not the top dog position. So that's really the only thing that I would add, having a solid foundation from which to start doing things differently. Yeah. And then especially for the female leaders, know yeah. that you actually have a really solid foundation. Right, because we just had this conversation before we got on this webinar actually between masculine and feminine energies and most women already know excel and empathy right unlike the boys who kind of still consider empathy a soft skill right and so i think really the encouragement for your young female leaders which i when i coach young female leaders i said you're already the future stop pretending that you're less than you're already more than the system allows mm -hmm. right and so rest in that and have that center know your values show up as you because you are the future they are the past right and so to remind 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 them of that as well yeah you touched on something philip which was which was excellent which is about the the i'll use i'll phrase it as the urgency of now you know so it, it, i just changed my facebook background yesterday because i saw a quote that that struck me and you know the the ending of the quote is the whole future lies in uncertainty live immediately by seneca you know and, and i talk all the time and, and you know my Clients know me as like the courage guy. And I talk about the Roosevelt quote in the arena. That's where, you know, it, it's so elemental. So it, it thrives on that risk, right? You do have to have a bit of uncertainty, a bit of, a bit of courage and that transition to Sally's point. Like, how do you enable that as a young leader? And I love, I just lost track of who said it, but those islands of sanity. I, I mean, I can think all of us on this call at some point in our careers and certainly presently, <laughs> many of us, are that island of sanity for many of the people with whom we work. So how do we how do we have that be a cultural momentum? How do we build well, you know, the cultural critical mass of these changes that we're trying to, to help create? You know, I think when we look at leaders, I have someone I worked with in Paris, the CEO said, I want, you know, I want ideas, I want your contributions. And I was on a head mic, I had my little, my little switch, and I said, um, I'm gonna go ahead and call bullshit. I said, and he laughed, and the whole group was like a little tense. 
I said, let me ask you what happened to the last eight people who brought you ideas you didn't like. And the whole room got really quiet because he had fired the people that brought him ideas he wasn't into. I said, so how, how are you modeling? How are you creating a culture of innovation, of, create, of inclusion, of participation, if you're going to literally fire people who bring you ideas that you don't like? So this is, this is the inflection point uh, that we're all at now. So I'll kick it over. I haven't heard from my friend Arnaud for a few moments. So how, what's your thoughts now, Arnaud, on this uh, synthesis of all these topics that have been kicked around now? How can we synthesize? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to see what what point can I add because you've you've said it all, and then and then we still have to go uh, back on the the the, the reality, right? Uh, I I just see for me the interesting point. I mean, a, an interesting question to explore to to add something is. Uh, globally where we are. I'm very interested in this, uh, having lived in so many places around the world. And I see, at least for France, I don't know so much about UK and Germany, at least for the Latin country, right? France, Spain, Italy, Portugal, they're so, they're so behind, I think, what we talk about, you know, human-centric organization. And I think after being back for two years in Europe, this part of Europe anyway, and I'd love to hear what do you think? I think because they're so good for some of them in quality of life outside of work, they really, I mean, if you get to see the, the Italians, the Spain, Spaniards, the French, when it comes to life and, and dinners and, and living and having a good time on weekends, at nights, vacation, things. And when, so when I did the discussion about this, to bring that back to work, they don't see the need because they're so happy outside of work. They don't see the, the importance of bringing those, I think, humanity at work. And I think, um, and I think in America, on, on the other side, since you have so few vacation and it's still less family-centric world, uh, I know you I'm going to interrupt you because I to thrive and you need to be a bit more human. Yeah, your Wi-Fi is really unstable. So I wanted to jump in. The points that you're bringing up right now are so critical because, and I see it from the American side and then all the years I've spent in, in France specifically and now in, in, the, in Dubai for the last eight years. It's very interesting. And that's, a, that's an exceptional point of if your life is so rich, if you're really engaged as a human outside of work, Conversely, in the US, everyone is at work and thinking work and not taking breaks. So it becomes this weird mishmash of like this, this quasi-human experience that many of us have. So you know, I'll I'll kick it over to uh to uh Sharad because how does that how do you see that being so long here in Dubai, Sharad? Um, yeah. how do you feel that that's played into your experiences here and, and globally? And again, yeah. to the participants, um please feel free to come on camera and to uh, participate as well. I just want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what I'm seeing uh, happen around, uh, you know, my business and my clients. A lot of people are in that hybrid mode and a lot of employees are still working from home, long hours, uh, always on, literally 24 by seven. And there is some kind of a fatigue that's setting in. There is mentally... People are, you know, can't be always on and expected to deliver 24 by 7. So I think there is this mental fitness aspect that needs to be tackled. And uh, again, leaders need to provide for that. I know there are companies in the U.S. that are providing allowances to all employees to uh, reach out to professional life coaches, motivational people. And not only providing allowances, they are following up whether these are being utilized or not, mm -hmm. right? That's the key thing. So I think we need to uh, address this issue of mental fitness because it is real. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. They say, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But actually, having worked long hours and in isolation without the communities around them, no water cooler talk happening, 
I think uh, onus is again on leaders to check in regularly with their teams to make sure uh, they are, uh, you know, mentally taken care of in terms of alertness, etc. Susan, you raised your hand, so would you. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, such key points you're stressing there. And of course, they are no-brainer points, right? We really should be doing them. But when we say the word no-brainer, of course we don't because we haven't spoken to the heart, right? You've got to engage that heart into these very basic principles. And I just wanted to bring something up. In our marketing blurb, we had putting people first. Well, look at this. Can you see that? Putting People First by Klaus Muller. And this book was published and I got it in 1995, everybody. And because the one thing that we know is that we do know, but we just don't get the courage to take it back to the very first point of our conversation today with Arnaud, the courage to go in and talk into the workplace or into family. So Putting People First was published in 1995. And of course, that fabulous um, um, poem that I read out was done in the 1800s. Rumi, goodness, I don't can't remember when Rumi. This is not new stuff, people. Uh, Rosaria's nodding her head. Rosaria, come in for one minute. We wanted you on before. Come on, tell us what you think. Uh, hi, good morning, everyone. I missed the past five minutes because I got a call from the belasting from the tax office and I had to get it. But thank you. It's wonderful to see so many like minded. So for me, I'm a big believer of human centered and I call it happiness contributing. So like I, you can see in the back, I wrote a book about it, how to bring happiness in the company, because I really believe that companies have the responsibility and they can really change the way that we do business. Uh, but I think the major change, I would say it's Friedman and the 72 that's created the biggest issue by saying we have to put profit first. And that's really then, as of that moment, has been, so it's, it's mindset and ways and philosophy or approaches to business. People that think that we have to put profit first, people first, customer first, employee first, purpose first. And I'm like, I say it's like the millennial discussion of is it the sun or the earth at the center of the solar system? It's a system. And we have to, for me, we have to put happiness at the center, happiness in the hedomonic way, and then everything else, people, profit, customers, employees, purpose, can rotate around it, but as a system, and from the heart, like yeah, you pointed it's out it's a lot at the beginning, uh, Susan, from the heart. And that's why for me, in happiness, there is everything. There is also the heart. Well, thank you, Rosario. You started off by saying, you know, a hype, a being like-minded. Um, Rajiv and I like to say um, like-hearted. So let me offer you the like-hearted. Um, John Scott or Sharad, do you want to take it from here? Um, I just want to say that uh, we are close to our 60-minute mark. I know everybody is enjoying this conversation and we could just go on forever. So um, I would like to start wrapping it up, if I may. And I'll give uh, each of our panelists and even the audience a chance if they want to come in, uh, take a minute or two uh, just to summarize what you would do to build a human-centric organization. And please, practical points only. Uh, whoever wants to go first in no particular order. Philip, you want to go first? I'll be happy, I'll be happy to start, Sharad, if you like. Okay, sure. Go ahead, go ahead, Rajiv. Yeah. So I, I think the first step, especially now, and I mentioned this early on, but it's, you know, with everyone with the intention to try to help move things forward, we need to first and foremost check where people are. So meet where people are. And that is first and foremost, really measure your culture, guys. I mean, you know, the first thing you can do is identify what are the values that are showing up now? You know, what are the desired values that we need as an organization together? Because if we want to unite people, we want to make the company truly human-centric, then we have to bring us all together. It's no longer the the board of directors that decides the five words of the wall. John Scott, I know you and me always talk about this, but yeah. the five words on the wall, you know, culture is a living entity. We have to acknowledge it. And that's where if you begin there, then you can actually plan your roadmap, put programs in, you know, touch emotional intelligence, touch uh, resilience, touch all the areas that you need to focus on at this point in time. So those are, that's, that's I'm gonna, my. I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail off that because it's, 
it's measuring, but it's, it's listening. You know, I, I've had so many experiences in the last year where leaders were polling their organization and getting feedback that was dramatic and very surprising to them, well, maybe not to us. And then they would, and it's the worst possible thing to do, which is, I want to understand what you all think. Okay, you think that we should do this? Um, yeah, no, we're going to do the other, we're going to do something different. It's the worst thing you can do culturally is to, to engage your teams, have them feel as if you're listening to them for perhaps the first time or a rare time, and then take all of that so valuable data and basically say, uh, yeah, no, we're going to do it the way I want to do it as the leader. So it's, it's to you said, it's listening and, ass and assessing and, and surveying, but it's listening and, and it's behaving and taking action based on that important data. It's not just, it's not just paying lip service to your point. So I'm going to just kind of flow right into, right into Philip, because I know culturally his brain is flying in 75 directions. <laughs> I, love, I love what you said, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to actually go do something about the things that you're surfacing, right? I mean, Ashwaraja's post an article this morning where BCG said that com companies who actually invest in culture are five, more, five times more likely to succeed. So go figure, right? And I think it's, it's a no-brainer at this point. My suggestion is, honestly, start with yourself. Right, connect to your own heart, connect to your own center, think about who you want to be and what you would want to put your lifetime, your energy, your currency, as Susan said, where do you want to put that, right? And then really start there, start with who you are, right? And what you want to do, and then have that conversation with your team, right? And really think about who do we want to be as a team within whatever organization, whatever is our culture, whatever's going on around, who do we want to be as a team? And then as you create these teams, eventually ask yourself, now who do we want to be as an organization? Right? Right. But like start with the individual, start with yourself. And I think that's really the only place where you can do anything, right? You can change your whole organizational culture. You can, you know, change the culture in your nation, but you can change how you show up. Yeah. Right? And if you and decide and gonna... you want to be in the future, go do that and then yep. let the rest follow. And I'm going to say one, one point, I'm sorry for jumping back in, but it's, my clients are very focused on bottom line results, as most, most clients are. And this is a direct path to bottom line results. And I think the per misperception previously was that this was all kind of nice and it sounded good and, and it wasn't results driven. And I think, I hope my mission is to make sure they understand the, the direct correlation. So I'll kick it over to, uh, to Susan for her, uh, her piece now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to do top and bottom, but let's do that. So <laughs> bottom line, top line. So in brand and uh, communications, I, we've long since been talking about brand equity, uh, influencing both the top and bottom line. And of course, in the fourth industrial era for IR, you know, we're in the digital space communicating. So brand reputation is finite, isn't it? It's as, it's, as, it's as fine as a Snapchat second. But I'd also like to add into that bottom line and top line at equity middle, the middle of the organization, the heart in the organization. And so to bring some wordsmithing into that, how about that we stop saying what's the objective, you know, the real BC word, and start saying what's our intention? And why, how about we start saying, well, what's the, what's the outcome of our objective? And start saying, how about the impact of our intention? And I tell you what, why don't we add extraordinary impact to that? So what's our intention and what's our extraordinary impact? And how can I play a role in that? How can I become modeling again, uh, Sally and Rosaria? How can, and, and Tony, role modeling into all of that? So yeah, of course there's a reality and the reality is now, but you know, there's also a new reality, the new possibility. And you know what? That's here right now as well. So let's change the reality into the new reality now, over to you. Yes. Next? Arnold, your, your one minute, Arnold. Thank you. Uh, was passionate, uh, full of life, like always. It's great to see you, our Charade Salon monthly. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, uh, Philippe. It's nice to see you, Susan, and uh, everyone else. One thing I would have to say, which is, I, and I see more and more company doing that, it's to, for me, the first step to make it a human-centric organization is to have those influencers, however we call them, be picked out, be chosen, 
whether officially or non-officially, but the organization. I think Arnold is moving up again. Which you, oh shit. Can you hear okay, me well? Uh, <laughs> now we heard. On, on and off. <laughs> and let's pop into Rajiv, shall okay. we? I think Rajiv has had a say. Um, I, I think I should come in now and uh, do the last word, if I may. Um, so my point is very simple. I think COVID has brought people together and uh, there's more collaboration happening. The fact that we are having this webinar with speakers from New York, Berlin, uh, Paris, Dubai itself is uh, you know, an example of that. And so let us not try and do everything ourselves. Let's reach out to the communities that we have built because all the answers are there. I'm part of 20 WhatsApp groups already. If I have a problem, I post something and I get an answer right away. So guys, keep it simple. Don't try and address all issues on your own. You won't find the answers. Reach out to people, reach out to your communities. All the answers are there and all the experts are there. And on that note, I wanna thank all my panelists and the wonderful audience and it's been uh, lovely having you together. We are planning another edition of What's Next in about four to six weeks from now. Stay tuned in. Uh, your destination site is onlywebinars.com to get a recording of this webinar and a podcast. So thank you all once again. Stay safe, be good, and see you on the other side. Bye Thanks for sir. now.